Mm. So welcome everyone to Bible with Bill. We're on number three. Three, Alice. Three. Yes. I mean, it's going well. <laughs> Bill, do you want to describe where we are, who we're with, and what you're going to say? <laughs> Thank you, Alice. <laughs> so um, I'm sitting in Chris and Alice's office um, in the Hope Chapel, and I'm with Alice, who I'm talking to today. Alice is my audience. And Hannah is our technical Woo-hoo! technical whiz kid um, doing the stuff with the slides and the sound and the, all the stuff that us mere mortals find it hard to understand. So it's, it's good that we've, we've got Hannah here as well, bringing the skills. <laughs> so that's where we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, let's get it yes, together. Get um, it together. So what are we going to look at today? A quick intro. So uh, we're going to do, again, something different today. There there hasn't really been a theme um, in the the podcast we've done so far. Um, What I'm going to look at is the subject of pastors and pastoring and pastoral care, the word pastor. And where it comes from is... About just over 10 years ago, I started to lead a church and it went okay. But if I got any kind of negative feedback in the early days in particular, it was that I wasn't pastoral enough. There was something people were expecting, something people wanted that I wasn't delivering. Um, And their description of that thing was pastoral. I wasn't pastoral. And I tried to understand what they meant, um, but it was quite hard to pin down. It was quite a slippery term. Uh, different people seemed to mean different things by it, but also it seemed quite vague and quite. Uh, it, it was it, they were describing more of a feeling. Yeah. It was something about my style and how it made them feel, rather than something concrete and specific. And so. Uh, it, it set me wondering, well, what does the Bible say about this? So I did a little Bible study. I looked up the word pastoral and every occurrence of the word pastor or pastoral in, in the New Testament, the Greek New Testament. Um, and I was surprised by the results. Wind forward to the present day. Yeah. And in Hope Chapel, we, we're having this conversation at yeah. the moment about uh, leadership structures, about do we need to appoint uh, new people to the staff or to leadership roles. Um, and in all of these discussions, again, it's been a bit like an echo. There's, some people are saying similar things to what I was hearing 10 years ago. Um, and what I found is in those discussions, I've, I've kind of been biting my tongue because I've got all of this kind of stuff going on. And I want to say, yeah, but hang on a minute. Yeah. Um, but what I've understood is that I have this luxury of a platform yes. where I can, I have the opportunity, I'm lucky to have this opportunity where I can say, well, actually, I think this. Yeah. And so in a very self-indulgent way, I'm going to use the next hour or so, <laughs> three hours or so, <laughs> To have a look at that question, what what does the Bible say about the word pastoral? Mm. Um, if that's okay, yeah, is that, that okay? Is really helpful. Um, what I love about what you're going to do is it's not just like ideas or thoughts you've had, 
but also it's pertinent to where we're at. Absolutely. So that's a real gift. And hopefully it's useful. Yeah. It might um, ruffle a few feathers, but that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. And when the Bible ruffles feathers, yes. I think that's a healthy thing. Great. Um, so... Uh, have we got the first slide up? The one that's so yeah. So that's that's the introductory slide. Those are the words we're looking at: pastor and pastoral. Um, so let's have a look at the evidence. So what I did was I got a concordance out of the biggest concordance I could find. The concordance lists every word in the Bible and tells you where you can find it. So it's a listing of all the occurrences of of a certain word. So the first thing I did was look up in a a concordance the word pastoral and I made a big list of all the occurrences of the word pastoral in the NIV Um, would you like to see a that list okay I hopefully Hannah is now showing you that list it doesn't occur once which I found staggering given the amount of time that in church culture, so not just Hope, not just Bristol Vineyard, but the whole church culture, the, the amount of conversation about pastoral stuff, which kind of takes for granted that this is an established Christian, biblical, orthodox thing, and that we all know what we're talking about. I was staggered that there isn't a single instance of the word pastoral in the Bible. So I then thought, well, what about pastor? You know, the role of pastor. There must be a lot of, you know, because it's pretty much the standard word that we use for church leaders. You know, if they're not vicars or priests, they're pastors. So I looked up the word pastor and came up with, again, a very long list. Here it is. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 11. Um, And again, that's it. That's it. Um, if you don't believe, I mean, I, I found it hard to believe. If you don't believe me, grab a concordance, look it up for yourself. Um, and so I was staggered. Um, I assumed it was established biblical theology. Now, I'm, I'm not saying because it doesn't occur in the Bible, it's not a legitimate subject. You know, it's not something we should talk about. Um, I think what people mean by pastoral is important stuff and, and needs to be understood and talked about. You know, the, the, there are no references in the in the New Testament to websites, but most churches have a website. Yeah. So it doesn't mean it's off limits. It doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. Yeah. But I think it does mean two things. I, I think it means, first of all, we need to actually be clear about what we mean. You can't take it for granted that we're all take, talking about the same biblical concept. Um, so we need to um, understand and actually be explicit about when I say the word pastoral, I mean this. Um, and there's this, the other thing is, I think, be, because it's not a biblical word, um, then the I, I think it's not... You can't take for granted that it's kind of orthodox truth. Mm. In other words, it's debatable. Mm. It's open to critique. It needs to be defended. Mm. And that's, that's absolutely fine. And that you can defend, you know, various arguments about pastoral care or pastors or pastoring. Um, 
but your your argument is one of reason, reason yes. and evidence, rather than this is the word of God. Yes. Um, and so it's that kind. It's in that category of idea, rather than a biblical idea. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah, Okay, so that's, um, that's the kind of introduction. Um, so what I want to do basically is two things. Um, a bit of, bit of quick signposting. Um, and the first one is we do have this one instance. Mm. Ephesians 4 verse 11 talks about pastors. Mm. And it's actually quite an interesting verse. It's a very interesting verse for a number of different reasons. And it is quite revealing about, um, what we mean by, um, but, or what, what the New Testament, the New Testament's mindset yeah. when it comes to the role of pastor. Mm. And so we're, we're going to have a look at that, Ephesians 4.11. Um, but also, secondly, I want to try and have a, a, an estimate of what people tend to mean when they use the word pastoral. Um, and, and kind of critique it from a biblical point of view. Because I think there are certain themes that come up again and again and again when people use those words. Um, so what does the Bible say about those ideas, um, if that's all right? So those, that's basically the plan for the next, for the rest of the session. Brilliant. Good. Yeah. If I have permission to move on. Yeah. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so first of all... Um, uh, I think, Hannah, you've got the, the verse up. Uh, if he, so this is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So, and it's, it's a famous passage. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there are these five roles and their job together, doing different things, but with the same aim, which is to make people mature so that the whole community becomes Christ-like. That's the job of those five roles. And among them is pastors. Um, But... I, I just said it only occurs once, and that's true-ish. But it could also be argued that that word occurs no times, and it could be argued that it occurs lots of times. Now, that sounds like a riddle, but what I'm talking about is the difference between an English translation and the original Greek text. And, and I'm f- afraid this is the first time we've done this. This yeah. is the third podcast we've done, but we're actually going to look at a bit of Greek. I think we need to, Bill. Oh, <laughs> is I'm that okay? I was actually hoping that you were going to do that. Well, I, I know it, it, it gives people the willies. And, and so I wanted to say we're going to take it very gently and I'll hold yeah. your hand and it's all right. It, I know it's scary. Bill, it's but... a safe place. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> So we are going to have a little look at um, the Greek. So uh, if I can have the next slide, please. Now, I know this won't make sense to a lot of people, um, but this is uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11 in the original Greek text. And what I've done is I've underlined the word that 
our English versions translate as pastors. It's poimenas. Uh, that under, underlined word is poimenas, um, which is, in our versions, almost, uh, almost all the time translated as pastors. Now, the interesting thing is, if you read an English translation, pastors occurs once in this place. But if you read the New Testament in the original Greek, the same word crops up lots of times. So, for example, the next slide, please, Hannah. Um, This is a very, very famous verse. This is John 10, verse 14. Ego eimi hopoimein which is the same root word, but it, here it's the nominative singular. In the Ephesians one, it's uh, plur, accusative plural. So it's a different case, but the same word. Ego eimi ho poimein hokalos, which translated into English means, I am the good shepherd. Poimain, the Greek word, crops up lots and lots of times in the New Testament. And in every case, it's translated shepherd, because that's what it means. Except for Ephesians 4.11, where in nearly every single English version, it's translated pastors. Which is fascinating. I find that fascinating. Um, Why is it? I think, this is what I think, because I've, I've noticed the tendency. Um, religious people like to make their roles sound grander by not translating them into the, the basic English meaning. So, for example, um, apostle, we talk about apostles. Apostello simply means to send. So the sent out ones, people who are sent. That's all an apostle is, is someone who's sent. Uh, The 12 were called apostles because Jesus sent them out. The Great Commission, go out into all the world. And that's why they're apostles. Um, Paul Paul and Silas were sent out from Tarsus, so they were the sent ones. They were, but we don't say the sent ones, we say, or sent people, we say apostles. Because it sounds more, it sounds more religious, it sounds more special. And so there's a tendency to, to not translate. Yes. We, keep, we hold on to the, the special Greek or Latin in order to give it a bit of a cachet. I think that's what's going on. And I think that's why the tradition is that in this one instance, it's not translated as shepherd, it's translated as pastor. Another example, baptizo just means immerse. But we don't say, I immerse you in the name of the Father, the Son, and that. We say, I baptize, because yeah. it makes it religious and it makes it special. Mm. We, we just don't translate it into English. We use the original Greek. Um, and I think that's what's going on. But hang on a minute. You just said the Greek for shepherd was poimen, and it is. But the Latin for shepherd is pastor, ah, yeah, okay. which gives us a clue about who first Develop the um, the practice of calling this role pastor instead of shepherd. I imagine it originated in yeah. Rome, um, huh. and it's become the tradition. So we we continue to this day to call this role, which a, a normal Greeks a, a, a native 
Greek speaker reading the New Testament 2,000 years ago would have read Shepherd. There's nothing in the text yeah. to say that this should be translated any different. The, the five ministries to a native Greek speaker reading the original text would have been apostles, prophets, pastors, sorry, a prophets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, yeah. and teachers. Wow. Okay? So, so actually we're talking about shepherds. Mm. Okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, what, what does it mean to say there is this church leader role, one of the five ministries, which is shepherd? And I think there are two ways of looking at it. One is, it was a common metaphor just in the ancient world to call leaders yeah. shepherds. Yeah. So, for example, in, in Homer, um, in, the, in the Iliad, in the Odyssey, he talks about shepherds of the people when he's referring to kings and princes. So it's a common word that was used in that culture. He, he's our shepherd means leader of a group of people. Yeah. Um, and so I think it partly means that it, it's the local leader. Mm. So it's a legitimate word. It's legitimate to call the pastor of a local church a, um, a, a pastor. Yeah. Um, it's a bit strange to use a Latin word but, instead of shepherd, but there you go. Um, but I think there's another way of looking at it, which is um, in Judeo-Christian thought, it also had an extra layer of meaning because uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament contrast the idea of God as the ideal leader and the, the good shepherd yeah. as opposed to your typical human leader who are bad shepherds. So I think it's in Isaiah, for example, um, it's certainly the Old Testament prophets. Um, uh, God speaks through the prophet and he says, you know, th these are bad shepherds. Your current kings, O Israel, are bad shepherds. I will be your good shepherd. Uh, which, of course, has extra resonance when Jesus in, in John chapter 10 says, I am the good shepherd. We, we tend to miss it, but in a way he's saying, I am the fulfillment fulfillment of that prophecy yeah. I am the good shepherd um, and what it what it, it it tended to mean two things the shepherd who would love the sheep as opposed to using them. you know bad bad kings were out for themselves mm -hmm. they would just use the the sheep for their own purposes whereas a, 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 a shepherd in in the manner of God would serve the sheep, would be, would be interested in the sheep's welfare, the sheep's... Um, uh, he would love the sheep. Um, and that's what a good shepherd was. But a, a bit more than that, he would also, as a result of his shepherding, the sheep would become fu fully mature. They would grow and become fully mature. Yeah. So the result of good shepherding would be the perfect flock would be the flock of sheep that fulfilled, you know, so talking about the nation of Israel, under the good shepherd, Israel would grow and become the nation it was meant to be. It would flourish. Um, you'd get a flock that flourished. Nice alliteration. Um, so, so that's, I think that's the thought behind, why, why, why Paul plucks out, you know, this role of shepherd. I think that's what's going on in the background. He's talking about that kind of leader. Um, before we move on, I think there's one more interesting thing 
about this particular verse, Ephesians 4.11, if that's all right. Yeah. And it's this. Um, now, I've already played around with the idea, does pastor occur once or is it no times or is it lots of times? And, you know, it's about the translation. There's another dilemma, which is, is it actually five ministries yes. or is it four? And it's something that comes out very clearly in the in the Greek. Um, in fact, it, it's it's kind of um, I think it's more clear. So I'm I'm looking for the slide going uh, onwards to the Greek that uh, Ephesians four eleven in the Greek again. Um, now I'll, I'll try and lead us through this. Uh, slowly, so so um, I don't want to patronise you Greek speakers out there, but um, there's something about the grammar of how Paul lists these five ministries that's a bit odd. Um, so you see the underlined word, so that's poimenas, meaning pastors or shepherds. The two words before that, tuste, that means some. So tuste poimenas some shepherds. Now, if you go up to the top line, you'll see that um, each of the roles are preceded by uh, two step or two men. So uh, going to the, the last two words in the top line, two men apostolus, uh, some apostles, two step prophetas, some prophets, two step euangelistas, evangelists, and then finally, tuste poimenas kai didaskalos, some pastors or shepherds and teachers. So the grammar changes. It's like uh, the last two shepherds and teachers are lumped together as a fourth category. Um, if, if there were five categories, you'd expect to see a tuste in front of didaskalos, teachers, as well as the other four. But it's not. Um, and, and so that change must mean something. It implies that there are four, or it might imply that there are four, actually four groups here. There's a group of people whose role is apostles, a group who are prophets, a group who are evangelists, and a fourth group who are prophets, teachers. Yes. They, they, sorry, pastors, teachers. Mm. They're, they're leaders who teach. Mm. Um, they, they grow people and mature people by teaching them. Mm. That's how it could be read. Mm. Now, um, which is it? Um, is it four or is it five? To be honest, the scholars are, as far as I can see, it is kind of a 50-50 yeah. split. So, but, you know, for example, in the message, so the next slide, please, Hannah. This is Eugene Peterson. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor hyphen teacher. So Eugene yeah. is saying, actually, yeah. it's four. Yeah. And he's saying that there's one group here who, um, who shepherd people who um, bring people to maturity through their teaching. Now, I find this interesting. I find it interesting because often when people talk about pastoral leaders and teachers, 
it's almost like they're contrasting them. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, you've got the teachers and we need them, but we also need people who are more pastoral. Yeah. And I think this, uh, this understanding of the only occurrence of the word pastor in the New Testament kind of questions that a bit. Yeah. It says if it's not the same role, then it's two different roles who are very close, <laughs> closely aligned. Yeah. They're, they're doing that. They they have the same goal, which is to bring people to maturity, mm. and some do it in their leadership style, some do it through teaching. And I, and I think both are valid interpretations. But I think there's another thing that's interesting, which is when when shepherd is used, particularly by Jesus and Paul, mm. to describe this leader role, it, it tends to focus on two different things. One is feeding. So, you know, for example, end of John's gospel, when Jesus reinstates Peter, what does he say? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my, three times, feed my sheep. And so there's something about feeding the flock so that they grow to the maturity. How do leaders feed the flock? Well, the obvious way is through teaching. And there's another way in which shepherd is used as a metaphor by both Jesus and Paul, which is about protecting the flock from the wolves. Now, who are the wolves? If you read, you know, Acts 20, Paul stands up and he warns the church about false teachers. And he says, these are the wolves. How do you combat false teaching? Good teaching. And so I think there's a strong argument that actually they're, they're pretty closely aligned that teachers are pastors and pastors are teachers. And I think it's a good corrective to both those who call themselves pastors and those who call themselves teachers. Mm. You know, if you're saying I'm a pastor, well, to what extent are your flock maturing and growing and deepening in the faith and becoming more Christ-like as a result of your leading? Or are you just spinning the plates, keeping the show on the road? You know, is there growth? in the depth and the Christ-likeness of the flock. It's also a good challenge to teachers. Mm. You know, are you just telling people interesting stuff or are they actually growing? Yes. Are they growing and deepening and yeah. becoming more mature as a result of your teaching? Yeah. So I, I think it's a healthy challenge both ways, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay? So... Um, that's Ephesians 4.11. We've done a bit of a deep dive into the Greek. I hope it wasn't too painful. Um, so the second thing I wanted to do was kind of turn to look at this, you know, the, the, what seems to be the common understanding of the word pastoral and kind of critique it a bit from a biblical point of view. Um, so um, this, bibli- this, I- this idea that lead um that pastoral is something that leaders need to to be and do what do we mean by pastoral well here's my suggestion i don't know if you agree with this i've I've come up with uh this is the bill's dictionary um the next slide um i've got pastoral care and I think people tend to mean, well, actually, I think they mean three things. The, the, the first thing, some people talking about pastor, being pastoral, they talk about what I've just been talking about, leading the church, 
looking, uh, protecting the church, guiding the church in such a way that it's healthy and flourishes and becomes more Christ-like. And I think that's entirely valid. I think that's a good use of the word pastoral. Um, a second meaning, I think, is loving, meaning caring for, looking after, protecting, meeting needs. Okay, so pastoral care is caring for people, looking after people, meeting people's needs. Um, I think there's a third thing that I pick up. When people talk about pastoral, it's sometimes used as an adjective to describe personality or interpersonal style. And, and a pastoral person is someone who's kind of emotionally warm, supportive, empathetic or empathic. I never know how you meant to say that. Um, but you know what I mean? Sensitive, touchy-feely. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's often what people mean when they describe a person as pastoral. They're talking about a, a personal style, um, what they're like. Um, so, uh, I don't know if you agree with that. Hello, audience out there. Um, I don't know if you agree with those. If, uh, you know, answers on a postcard, if you want to have the argument, if you've got a different definition, you know, when you use the word pastoral, you mean something different, then ha let's have a chat. Um, I really do welcome people disagreeing, arguing, um, asking questions. Um, but if, uh, for the purposes of argument, these are what it means, um, what do we think of that? Um, now, you could say, how can anyone criticise those things? You know, loving, caring for, looking after, protecting, meeting needs. Who can argue with that? That's good stuff, isn't it, right? Um, being w emotionally warm, supportive, empathetic, sensitive, that's, that's not a bad list of qualities. How can anyone criticise that? And, and it's all good stuff, right? And I would say, yes, it is. I agree, that's all good stuff. But I have two concerns or questions, because remember, what we're talking about is the argument that leaders, pastors, shepherds need to do this stuff and be like this. Um, and I have two questions. And the, the first one, uh, the first critique is, um, I agree it's all good stuff. But whose job is it? So that looking at the first, loving people, caring for people, looking after people, protecting people, meeting people's needs. Um, I agree it's good stuff and I agree it's biblical stuff. You know, I think the prime example is John 13, where Jesus watches the disciples feed. You know, he sees a need and he's willing to get his hands dirty. He's willing to meet that need. He gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. And it's clearly a, a metaphor. In fact, he says, you know, this is how you love one another. Now go and do likewise. Um, and the point is, this is for all of us. This is everyone. We're all called. You know, both, both Jesus and Paul had this idea of a community where the people would love one another and what that looked like was serving one another. Yeah. You know, the uh, loving people in, in Jesus and Paul's 
um, language, the, 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 it means it's a big concept. It means all sorts of different things. But front and center is this idea of uh, giving oneself to serve others, to meet people's needs. Mm. And the picture of it is, is washing feet. But the point is, it's for all of us. It's not a special role that we give to one person. And the thing about, um, you know, the problem with serving one another is we don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with, you know, sacrificing ourselves for others is we run away from that. Mm. You know, the idea of spending our lives spotting people's needs, rolling up our sleeves, getting down on our knees and washing feet is something we find distasteful. And we'll do anything to get out of it. And I think a common way of trying to get out of it is to say, well, actually, that's, a, that's this person's job. Yeah. And, and you have this, this we, we turn this New Testament idea of what a church looks like upside down. And instead of a community that are all serving one another, we have this idea that it's one person's job to meet the needs of the community and everyone else's job is to have their needs met. Mm. Um, and I think that's... Now, I, I'm, I'm putting it in an... Extra, I, I know people don't actually mean that. Yeah. But I think that's the risk mm. that we, may, you know, we appoint someone to be the servant, mm. to be the... Where, is, where it's all of our jobs. Um, that's my first concern. Um, and my second concern is linked to it, which is... If anyone has a slightly different role, then Ephesians four eleven to thirteen tells us it's these five these five four or five roles, right. because their job is to equip the church to serve. The church's job is to serve, to serve one another, to give themselves, to wash feet, but these five particular roles are there to enable the church to do that. And in a way, if we make it the, the shepherd's job, the pastor's job to, to care for people, to spot needs and meet needs, to serve, then we take that responsibility away from the whole community and we prevent them from growing into that role themselves. And so the pastor ends up doing the opposite of what they're meant to do, which is releasing that ministry, um, empowering and, and yeah. giving that ministry. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for example, um, I'm, I'm intrigued that often the, the, the example of pastoral care that's given is checking up on people who haven't been for a while. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I hear it a lot, you know, that what does pastoral care look like? Well, it, it looks like keeping an, eye, keeping an eye on how people are doing. And if someone hasn't been on a Sunday for a few weeks, then someone needs to give them a phone call to make sure they're okay. And that, I'm intrigued by where that comes from as the standard example of what, you know, the pastor's role is or pastoral care looks like. Um, but who's jo who, let me put it this way, who's the best person to do that? Mm. Now, I would have thought the best person to phone someone who hasn't been for a while is the person who knows them best. Yeah. 
whatever. Now, it might be the person who knows them from before, who, if they're new to the church, who introduced them to the church. It might be the one who lives closest to them. It might be the one who's got to know them the best while they've been there. But So there are lots of candidates for who's the best person to do that. But the one thing that will prevent those people from taking responsibility and doing it themselves is if they think it's someone else's job. Yes. If they think it's this pastor's yeah. job, who's got a list of people that they go through every day, you know, making sure that they're all right. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, just in terms of resources, it's great. One person to, to do it for everyone yeah. versus the whole community to do it for one another. Yeah. Um, there's another aspect to this, which is what responsibility does the individual themselves bear? for bringing themselves to church. You know, if, if there's one thing that's going to prevent them from uh, taking responsibility and beginning to think along the lines of, if I want the benefits from being a member of this community, then I have to commit. Mm. If there's one thing that'll stop them from doing that is having this father figure who they know is going to, you know, phone them up all the time. Well, that's great. I don't need to actually grow up. I don't need to mature. I don't need to be, be a responsible person. So that's my second concern, that you know, if, if pastors do this job of meeting everyone's needs, kind of being the father, um, then people won't grow. People won't do the very thing that pastors are actually called to make happen, which is to grow people, grow the, the community to Christ-like maturity, where we're all serving one another. Um, so I have a th- third concern, um, and, and it's about this, this next thing. So the second half of this slide, so it's all right. The same slide, Hannah, but going down. This idea that pastoral means emotionally warm, supportive, empathetic, and sensitive. Um, now, I understand why we want our leaders to be like that, because it feels nice. You know, yeah. Of course, I want my leaders to be warm towards me, to be supportive, to be empathic, to be empathetic, to be sensitive, because it'll make me feel good. But here's a different question. What is the leadership style that causes people to grow? What is the leadership style that people's, causes people to grow? Um, standard management model for the leadership style that causes people to grow is this little chart. Um, so we've got what leaders need to do is support and challenge. You need both. It's a both and. So it's not wrong to be supportive and warm and empathetic, but you also need to be challenging. You also need to give responsibility, to in, give too much responsibility in some ways, to drop people in the deep end to, so, that they learn, so that they grow, so that they're stretched. You need to challenge them in, in terms of rebuking them, saying, actually, I think you've got that wrong. You need both. If, if you only have a challenging kind of rebuking, um, delegating leadership style, the risk is people will burn out, will, will shrivel, will collapse, will fail, will give up. If you only have a supportive style, people will just get comfortable and they'll stagnate. Because there's nothing to urge them on to more. And the, the best leaders are those who do both. Um, and again, 
Now, this is meant to be a biblical critique. So um, Jesus is our example. Who is the best pastor that we meet in the New Testament? It's Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He's the model shepherd. Um, so how those uh, disciples who grow the most, who you see that transformation, um, what does he do with them? And I think the prime example is Peter. You know, if you follow Peter's journey from, you know, this kind of idiot who you meet at the start of Mark's gospel, who's so confident and so foolish, compared with the Peter you meet in the Acts of Apostles, who's become this great leader. Um, uh, what does Jesus do to cause Peter to grow in that way, to mature um, into the, the Peter we meet in the book of Acts? Well, yes, some of the time he's supportive and warm and encouraging. But there are also eye-watering times. You know, Mark 8, you know, when Peter says, you know, no, you're not going to die. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You know, that's not warm and insensitive <laughs> and encouraging. Well, it, it kind of is, but it's, there's a reason he's doing that. And if someone's style is only you know, warm, supportive, encouraging, and they can't do the challenging, the rebuking, the giving people big responsibility, then you never get Peter's journey going on. And the, the, the final thought is, which is rarer? Out of those two styles, particularly in Christian culture where everyone's so nice, actually finding leaders who will challenge for the sake of people's growth, mm. is re- it's, it's gold dust. Yeah. Um, people who are supportive, I'd say, are ten a penny. Mm. Um, if I think about, in, in, in my journey, the number of times leaders have been willing to rebuke me or challenge me, mm. um, I can count them on the fingers of one hand, compared with the amount of time that I get support and warmth and encouragement and but those are the times when I've grown the most. Those that, and particularly in terms of maturity and becoming responsible, becoming a bigger person. That's what I've needed. Um, and so, now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying, you know, a supportive style is wrong. I'm saying both and. But I am saying that the thing that we're missing, I think, far more than the, the, the warm and encouraging, is the challenging. Um, that's my opinion. I want to finish with a story. So um, when I first moved to Bristol, I was at Christchurch. Um, and this is in 1980, 1989-ish. And there was a guy there who, uh, he, I'm not going to say his name, but he was part of our circle of friends. Um, and he, he wrote me a letter. And I was quite surprised to get a letter from him because I saw this group of friends every week. But in this letter, he told me, he gave me some feedback. He said, what I've noticed is, and and his feedback was, I was quite mean. That, you know, when we went to the pub and everyone was paying for drinks and I'd kind of be the last to offer. And and it was the most painful letter to receive. Um, And, but on reflection, I could see what he meant. You know, and it was kind of not, I wasn't trying to get away with it. I'm just a very passive person. You know, I just, you know, I'm quite slow to notice these things. And so 
Um, at least I hope that's the case. <laughs> but it stunned me. Yeah. But what it did was cause me to take it seriously and to say, I need to change. Mm. Wow. And, and the point is, I had a group of friends, none of whom said anything. They're all thinking it, but none of them said it mm. apart from this guy. And I look back on my life and I think that was one of the biggest interventions in causing me to grow and become more grown up, mm. more mature, develop a bit of character. Mm. And, um, and to me, that is the essence of mm. being a good shepherd. Yeah. It's not either or, it's both and. But I think the thing that we're missing often in Christian circles, in churches, is that shepherding challenge that's willing to be unpopular and willing to say and do the painful thing in order to cause people to grow a bit. And that's it. Sorry. I know that's, I know it's not easy to hear, but, but, but that's my biblical critique of this idea of what pastors need to be like if you disagree i I genuinely mean this i i love um i love disagreement i i don't i don't know it all i i really i don't know it all i know about half of it and you might have the other half so if you want to argue with me i would welcome that what what do you think on this question um but anyway more soon yeah no i found that really helpful Um, I've got a few questions. Okay, Have Alice. we got time, Hannah? Yeah, let's go for a minute. So... Actually, I'm not sure. I have, I've been... No, I'm joking. <laughs> We're done. Um, <laughs> what, what are your questions, Alice? Well, going back to the four or five-fold yeah. ministry, Yeah. Is it is it that the fullness is Jesus? So he's the sent one. He's the prophet, the fulfilment of the Hebrew Bible's Messiah profile, the prophet. He's the, the bringer of good news, and he's the pastor teacher and then he distributes those splits them up if you like amongst different leaders and then when they come together they represent all of christ yeah how do you know who is what and how can we call those out in each other the leaders we have a lot of leaders at hope how can we call out those different roles and is that a team leadership model for a local church? Or would you say that is needed in a city? Those four or five ministries representing Jesus' leadership in a community, where, at what level, the micro to the macro, would you put them? Do, do you understand yeah, I do. that question? That's yeah. Uh, so it's a two-part question. Yeah. So do they all come together? I think it's definitely the case that you can see Jesus as the model of each of these things. Yeah. You know, Jesus is, for, he's, yeah. he is the prototype apostle because yes. he's sent. He's yes. sent to earth. Yes. You know, he's sent to take on flesh. Yeah. Um, you know, the, in, in John, for example, it's a, it's a common um, theme, a common meme. You know, this idea yeah. that he's come from heaven to earth and he's been sent in order to reveal God. Yeah. Um, and so, and yeah, and you can do that for each of the five. And all I'd say is, I don't think it's quite right that when the five come together, they become Jesus. Because I think the, a more Pauline view would be 
in each local church, Jesus is the head. Yes. So he yes. is there. Yeah. He's the yes. head. But the the spirit works through different humans yeah. to kind of flesh out some of that role. Yeah. But I think it's a really important concept that, you know, the leader, the human leader of a church is second in command. Mm, um, and Jesus' leadership, the yes. fullness of Jesus' leadership yeah. is... is um, He's he's the head of the church. Yeah. Um, the the second one about how those, or I think it's, to, it's how do we spot it? Yes. And how are they distributed locally? Yeah. And um, do we need to build teams that intentionally spot and put those together, or do we just have the pastor teacher kind of team? Like the, I guess yeah, the yeah. elders, the relationship between the idea of elders or ministers, is that. Diakonos is one, that's deacons actually. Yeah, ministers and deacons is is the same idea. It's about all about service. Yes. And presbyteros is elders, which is overseers. Yes. Uh, So those are the two themes. Yeah. Ministers, servants, overseers, elders. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really good conversation to have. I, I, I think churches don't talk enough about gifts and gifts. It's, it's such a strong theme, in, yeah. in, not just in Paul, in Peter as well. Mm. Um, in his letters to churches about how to do mm. things, he, they, they keep on emphasizing gifting. Yeah. And I, th- I have this theory that um, the idea of a church where everyone serves can sound like drudgery mm. if you don't include the idea of gifting you know right. if, if we're all just one another's slaves right who wants to be part of that yeah but i think there's something about serving with your gift yes which is life rather than death yeah that's good so it might be hard work yeah but it's it's being what you're meant to be. Yeah. It's so fulfilling. It's so rich. You'll you'll never feel as alive. Yeah. And once you've tasted it, yeah. you just want to do it more and more and more. Yeah. And and I think that's that's where the idea of being a a, a servant mm. is releasing, mm. because I think the two go hand in hand. And I, I think that the you know sometimes there are jobs that just need doing, yes. and you need someone to do it. But if most of the time the the service you provide to others in your community in order to build them up is about exercising your gift, yeah. then it's it's light and it's a it's a yoke that's light, and, and I think that applies to everyone mm-hmm. and not just the five minutes. I, I think it's a conversation yeah. we should be having all the time yeah. in the church community. We, we should be asking people, "What are you?" Yes. How do you know? How do you spot it? How do you identify it? Yeah. I think there are certain key things that help to identify people's gifts. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're having that as a regular conversation in the community, then what you'll discover is there are some who are evangelists. You're, there are mm-hmm. some who, are, who want to be sent out. Yes. You know, they're church planters. They, yeah. they get itchy feet if they're yeah. you know, in one place too long. And they dream of you know, establishing a, a new community somewhere else. Yeah. Where it's where Christian community is thin on the ground, mm. um, and and so so I, yes I, I agree, but I'd say it's bigger than just the fivefold 
the fivefold, fourfold, you know, yes. um, ministries. I'd say it's everyone. Yeah. It's what are you? Yeah. Um, and and you know, if we like, I think it's a bigger conversation about how you spot gifts and yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's probably too big to go into now. But the final thing about is is it regional? Is it local? Yes. Is it? Yeah. I think God gives the gifts that He wants to give as churches, as communities, and as regions have need. Okay. Yeah. So we're more on the receiving end. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's up to him. Yeah. Um, I would be surprised if in a local church you have an apostle, mm. a prophet, yeah. a evangelist, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. I think it's more these are the themes to look for. Yes. Um, and you you tend to get, if if there's a real gap then god will will fill that look keep your eyes open for who he might be bringing or who he might be raising up to fill that gap yeah. um if it's a, if it's a city that's short on evangelism yeah. then yeah. the city should look for um evangelists um, but, but all of them, I think, come out of the local church. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's healthy when you know apostleship. Mm. You know, but Paul was sent well, originally from Jerusalem yeah. and then from Tarsus. Mm. But he he has this con- this continual sense of having been sent and yeah. and not forgetting where he's sent from and returning. And yeah. you know, his concern for the church in Jerusalem, raising the big the big sum of money because they're in in poverty. Um, it's it's not about being a, a free agent. Yes, it's about growing out of the local church and, and being a gift to a local to a city or a local yes. area, but always being rooted in the local church. That's, really That's my theme. Yeah. So going back to the pastor teacher conversation. Yeah. Um, I, the reflection I'm reflecting back. What what you're saying is maybe culturally we've put some words we've attached some words to that and those are okay those are great but we also maybe in maybe christian culture within the uk maybe need to also make sure we've got the balance of challenge i imagine there'll be other cultures around the world where they're heavy on challenge and maybe weaker on yeah some of our strengths but what you're saying is, what you're discerning is, in our cultural moment here, in Bristol, in the West, but possibly actually in Britain, maybe even distinct from America, that the pastor-teacher role needs to move up on challenge to, to almost balance the support. Is that a, is that a fair reflection of, of what you're saying? Yeah, We're I, kind of getting right, but also getting wrong. I think, I think it is. I, I think what I'm saying is... Um, I think I'm saying we um, the risk if you only have um, supportive, warm, encouraging leadership styles is people don't grow and I'm saying we see a lot of that in Christian culture in the UK Not in every um, yes. church, you know, there are different denominations and some are much more challenging yeah. and, um, and, uh, and therefore I think that's, that's what we, we probably need more yeah. of 
rather than more of the supportive, encouraging, etc., yes. uh, etc. Et I'm saying we need both. Yeah. It's, it's both and. Yeah. It's not either or. But I think what I, I'm also saying is um, we tend to emphasise personal style right. and personality yeah. uh, and as a, as a leadership trait in a way that the Bible isn't really interested in. Mm. The Bible's much more interested in what people do yes. and the outcome of that. Rather than, and we we tend to, I think there's a tendency, not everyone, but we 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 make central w- what the person's like in their personality, mm. and say, oh, we want a bit more of that. Mm. Um, whereas I think the Bible's more interested in outcomes, yeah, and doing what needs to be done in order yeah. to, you know, it's more purpose, it's more goal focused. Yeah, the pastor's job is to make individuals Christ-like, make the church Christ-like. Is it working or not? What does the pastor need to do in order to do that? They need to support and challenge. Yes. People whose personality is naturally supportive can learn to challenge. Yes. It'll be uncomfortable for them. Yeah. But that's an area where they can grow. And vice versa. There are people who are naturally challenging who can become more supportive. But it doesn't really matter what their personality is. And we shouldn't choose people, I think, based on their personality. We should choose people on, are they f- on character? Yes. And are they able to do this job of growing people? Yeah. That, that's what I think. That's really helpful. I, what I love about what you've said is, 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 you know, one of the seven habits of highly successful people is the end in mind. Mm. The end of these roles is maturity in Christ and that's if it's working great and if it isn't what do we need to do to tweak that that's really helpful absolutely and I think I, I see a lot of churches which kind of mm. go on yes. you know that they go on doing yeah. doing the same things week in week out yeah. but are the people really growing are the people really yeah. changing and I think that's the risk if you don't have that goal yeah that purpose yeah. outlook and if you're not willing to challenge, yeah. again, that's harsh. Uh, you decide whether it's fair or not. I think that's brilliant. I am going to end on a prayer because I actually feel Ruby. I'd like to pray this in for hope. Okay. Lord, I thank you so much for the clarity that you've uh, given Bill in his mind and also the gift that you've given him to be able to explain it clearly so he not understand, only understands it clearly but can explain with clarity and we want to be a community where all of us grow in maturity in Christ so we firstly bless all of us to be able to serve one another with our gifts to all come alive using our gifts and serving one another and we also bless the process we're going through for the right person or people to maybe be more kind of formally involved with um, that sort of pastor-teacher part of stewarding the community into maturity. So we bless us to be mature in Christ and we bless us to have eyes to see the the leadership that you're you're giving us. As Bill said, it's a gift from you to meet our needs in this time. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Looking forward to next time. Groovy.
Yeah, what will it be? Mm. Exactly. <laughs>